0: The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 10 Goblin Ambush Though this region of the maze spanned hundreds of miles, Gorthak the hunter knew how to narrow the search. Without water, the slaves would soon perish. He would center his efforts, On those areas where water could be found, for indeed his prey would be doing the same. He had split his underlings into seven scouting parties. Each of these he sent into the most likely corners of the contested zone. A day later, several parties returned empty-handed. One group failed to return, Another arrived with news of three human girls, a man, and a halfling. The footpads gloated that they had downed the largest of their number and sent the rest into hiding. And the elf? demanded Gorthak, for it was she who he had been commanded to capture. She was not seen, sir, said the smaller goblin, and he was punished for his failure. Even so... Humans and halflings were vanishingly rare in the maze, and Gorthak suspected that the object of their hunt was near. He commanded his scouts to redouble their efforts in region Alpha of the first level. Don't allow yourselves to be seen, said Gorthak. I will not allow you fools to compromise the net. When they are sighted, return to me at once. Bring me their movements. I. "...shall deliver the deed." Further reports confirmed that the elf girl was with them and they had gone to the water as Gorthak had predicted. Reports told that they were poorly equipped. For another day, the hunter allowed the information to trickle in whilst he refined his plan of attack. Gorthak's personal entourage had been hand-picked and it was with this trusted number that he would ambush the slaves. Two large goblins armed with spears were his left and right hand in battle. Goruk Tuk was the goblin shaman, and it was said that he had power over the mind. Having trained under the shaman were two hexblades, strong goblin warriors who had learned the twisted ways of black magic. The entire group was armored and fully armed. Under Gorthak's command, this elite force had no equal. The pitiful rabble of untrained and under-equipped slaves would have no possible chance. When the word came back that the elf girl and her accomplices were in the crystal room, Gorthak schemed evilly, for he knew that region of the maze well. So, he said, That is where they are holing up. Good, said the hunter. Let them find their false comfort where they may. The elf will soon be back in the hands of her master. And as for the others, today is the day they will die. I welcome you again, travelers of the maze, to the Iron Realm, Chapter 10. On tonight's episode... The tribe faces its greatest threat yet, an attack force of goblins led by their cunning and powerful hunter-leader, Gorthak. Since the beginning of the podcast, he has been tracking them, and indeed the tribe has hoped there could be some escape. Well, I tell you, today, that hope is over, and the dangerous confrontation is at hand. Who will triumph and who will fall? Find out today during our 10th milestone episode of the Iron Realm. Character 8. Today, in celebration of our 10th chapter, I present a new option to those of you who are playing along. For Character 8, I today reveal to you the Transcendent Disciplines. Keep track of your disciplines upon a separate sheet of paper. And as always, feel free to pause the podcast as we go so that you may take your notes. There are four known Transcendent Disciplines, and Character 8 is allowed to start the game with any one of these you choose. Each discipline represents a growing mastery by your character over the secret forces that underlie the world. The Four Disciplines On your Transcendent Disciplines sheet, note that the Four Disciplines are as follows. Evolution of Fire, Evolution of Water, Evolution of Earth, and Evolution of Air. Also be sure to note that details on Transcendent Disciplines can be found here at the start of Episode 10. Further, make a section of your page and indicate the Transcendent Discipline that you have chosen to begin the game with. Leave space for the other three, for you will have an opportunity to acquire more at a later time. Ranks. Your character's ability in each of the transcendent disciplines is indicated by the number of ranks you possess in each. Whenever you acquire a rank simply note it on your transcendent discipline record next to the appropriate evolution. Conditions The opportunity to gain a rank in any given discipline differs depending on the discipline. For example, you will have a chance to gain a rank under Evolution of Fire each time a magic weapon is discovered by any member of the group. Likewise, to gain a rank in the Evolution of Water, you may have a chance to do so each time a potion is found by any member of the group. For the Evolution of Earth, your chance arises each time a gem or precious stone is found. And for the evolution of air, you may attempt to gain a rank each time a spell scroll is found by any member of the group. Remember, you may only attempt to gain ranks in an evolution that you currently possess. Gaining a rank. So, let's say one of these conditions is met. Here is how you attempt to gain a rank. Simply roll the dice. Three six-sided dice. If your roll comes up a 20 or less, you have gained a rank. However, you must add any ranks you currently possess to the roll. Additionally, you are allowed to subtract your character's level from the roll, which means if you are of a greater level, your chance of gaining a rank improves. And finally, you may spend a luck point, or more than one luck point, in order to adjust the roll. One luck point allows you to adjust the roll by one. New Transcendent Disciplines If one of your Transcendent Disciplines ever reaches a score of 20, you are allowed to select a new Transcendent Discipline. If you possess two Transcendent Disciplines with a rank of 20 or more in each, you may choose a third Transcendent Discipline. And once you have three transcendent disciplines with a rank of 20 or greater in each, you may choose to add the fourth. Journey you well in pursuit of all four transcendent disciplines. Great rewards shall be unlocked by Character 8 in future episodes for those that pursue the path faithfully and prove themselves worthy. Tribal matters. It is the third day of Primaris, 1 o'clock AM. The group has locked themselves into the Crystal Room with the intention to stay locked in for the full 24 hours in order to provide those weakest among them with the opportunity to heal. The group has the following spells prepared. Treya. Aura against evil. Kalana, invisible shield. And Amazar, hovering disc. Solus has five life points out of eight. Stockholm has five life points out of ten. Len has four life points out of six. Amazar has two life points out of four. Kana has two life points out of four and Bardar has four life points out of seven. The first ten hours are dedicated to sleep, with members of the group taking a total of five watches. The first watch will be taken by Iona, the second by Treya, the third by Kailana and Paola, the fourth by Echo, and the fifth watch by Temek, because Treya, Echo, and Temek currently have no armor Each of them will be borrowing armor during their shifts from companions who are sleeping. Roaming Creatures checks as the group sleeps. The time passes uneventfully. Roaming Creature checks for the remainder of the 24-hour stretch. At 1 o'clock p.m., a Roaming Creature has been indicated. The tribe's fate is at hand. For the Hunter has arrived, sent from the Goblin Kingdom in order to recover the elf and kill the others. Gorthak, the Hunter, has teleported in through the Great Crystal at the room's center. Because this was an intended ambush, the Goblin Strike Force will certainly not be surprised. As for the characters, they are sufficiently on guard and will also not be surprised. Because the tribe believed they were safe in the Crystal Room, those who are taking 24 hours of rest are not currently wearing armor, with the exception of the wizard, Amazar, who is merely wearing normal clothing. This means that Solus is without his plate mail armor, as is Bardar, and Kana is without her leather armor. I will suggest, however, that Kana's leather armor is being worn by Echo at this time and that Bardar's plate-mail armor is being worn by Temuk. The goblins arrive on the square, which is to the southeast of the teleportation crystal. To the square east of the goblins is Bardar, who has propped himself up against the wall where he is resting. Iona is nearby, to the square southwest of the goblins. She is fully armored and ready to fight. Other characters nearby, Echo in the southeast corner of the room, who is armored and has been training against her own shadow. In the square northeast to the Goblin's arrival square, Solus is lying down, and he is in conversation with Kailana and Temek. And two squares west of the Goblins, the thief Kana is reclining, being tended by her sister, Paola. Though Kana is not armored, Paola is. And she turns her head toward the Goblins, holding her sword at the ready. Meanwhile, the others in the group, Stockholm, Len, Treya, and Amazar, are in the northwest corner of the room, and they are not initially seen by the goblins, since they are opposite the crystal. The goblin hunter is huge, larger than the average goblin, by more than double. He is accompanied by two large goblin warriors, holding spears and dressed in chainmail armor. He is also accompanied by two Goblin Hexblades, goblin warriors who each possess a surprise spell. Gorthak is also accompanied by a squat, hunched, goblin shaman who carries a vicious-looking black dagger. Attack, says the hunter, and find the elf pearl. Round one. Initiative. The goblins roll a six. The tribe rolls a four the goblins will be attacking first. As an additional vicious trick, the light of the crystal is extinguished the moment the goblins come through. Though the group should suffer a penalty of 4 to their armor value for being suddenly plunged into the dark, I'm going to say that because the group was not surprised, they did get at least some idea that the goblins were here and what their locations were. Therefore, for this first round of darkness, I'm going to assign the characters a mere 2 penalty to armor value. The first Goblin Hexblade makes a gesture and
1: growls a
0: sound, pointing toward the southern door. The door is outlined briefly in light, which quickly fades. Meanwhile, the second Hexblade, wielding a spear, moves in toward Kaylana. In the confusion and in the fading light, her armor value is reduced to 12. This means her opponent requires a seven or better to strike her, and fails to do so. Kaylana dodges the spear point at the last moment, staying mere inches away from the blade. Temek, who is wearing Bardar's plate nail and who is wielding a shield, steps forward to defend Solas, yet he is confronted by the hunter. Quickly, the hunter swings his flail down toward the halfling delivering a crushing blow onto him for six life points. Temek collapses to the ground, down to the stone floor, his eyes flickering shut. Through the pain, the goblin hunter roars. I will kill you all now, he says. Death to all betrayers of the one true king. Nearby, Barter stumbles to his feet. Just as the goblin shaman comes upon him, Although Bardar is unarmored, he is able to dodge aside and avoid the shaman's blow whilst recovering his short sword from nearby. The two goblin warriors head south. One tracks Iona and one tracks Echo. Iona's armor value has been reduced to a 6 due to partial blindness. The warrior needs but a 13 to hit. He thrusts his spear and it plunges deep into her. She is dealt four life points, and falls on her back before him. Echo is attacked as well. Her armor value is effectively a nine. The goblin tries to hit her with his spear, yet Echo grabs the shaft and shoves it aside, defiantly. The group has its opportunity to retaliate. Kana and Paola see their sister fall. The Goblin Warrior has an effective armor value of zero, considering the girl's blindness. However, Kana and Paola are very good shots with the dagger. Due to the short range and their high dexterity, each will only need a 15 to hit their foe. Yet neither succeeds. Treya is not hindered in the dark. Treya hoists her crossbow, aiming it at the warrior who felled Iona. We need light. She tells Amazar. She loses the quarrel, and it speeds toward its target. Treya needs a 16. The quarrel misses, embedding itself in the door. Amazar quickly searches his backpack for the tinderbox, and goes to work relighting the lantern. Full light will be restored at the end of the round. Meanwhile, Kaylana summons her invisible shield, putting herself between the hunter and Temek's fallen form. Len and Stockholm run in in defense of Kaylana, each grabbing a weapon before moving in. Len with her mace. Her mace bounces off his armor. Stockholm with his battle axe, also unsuccessful at connecting. Meanwhile, Solus tries the same, Having recovered his sword, he has also failed. It's not looking good for the tribe. Bardar has been attacked by the Shaman. The Shaman weaves aside, avoiding the short sword. As Echo faces off with the Goblin Warrior, she threatens him with her poison dagger. Only with a 20 can she strike him. Natural one. Echo fails badly. The Goblin pushes her to the ground with his spear as she overextends herself with her strike. At the end of round one, the room is lit again, and Amazar has positioned himself at the center of the room. Round two, initiative, characters, three, initiative, goblins, five. The goblin Hexblade at the center of the room finds himself surrounded by Len, Stockholm, and Solus. Goblins hate dwarves, so he attacks Stockholm with his spear. The dwarf is too quick for him, deflecting the spear with his battle-axe. Temek groans on the ground, trying to clear his head, while the hunter attempts to take a second victim, bringing his flail down upon Kaylana. He needs a ten, but Kaylana's power keeps him at bay. The shaman needs a ten to strike Bardar, but fails again to hit the wily halfling. The warrior against Echo needs a thirteen. Yet Echo, who is on the floor, rolls aside and dodges the point. The other Goblin Hexblade attacks Kana and needs a 15 to strike her. His spear pierces her armor, but not her flesh. The Goblin Warrior, who felled Iona, charges Paola and hits her with a 19. Paola takes a life point of damage. Paola pulls her sword and uses it against the Goblin Warrior. She needs a 17. Nat 20! She delivers six damage total to her attacker. With a similar motion, Kana attempts to strike her goblin hexblade. The goblin hexblade is ready and parries her attack. Bardar lets loose against the shaman, needing a 13 and succeeds. With his short sword, he deals a point of damage. Treya trains her crossbow against the goblin hexblade in an attempt to help Kana. The quarrel misses. Amazar tries to help her too, charging in toe to toe with his dagger. But the wizard cannot hit. Stockholm tries to hit the Hexblade who has gone after Kalana and cleaves with his battle axe. The Hexblade is killed. Len moves against the Hunter needing a 15 with her mace and strikes. She deals the Hunter 4 damage, reducing him to 8 life points. Solus swings his sword too, but rolls a nat 1, unable to attack this round or next. The goblins must make a bravery check, for they have lost one of their number. They have rolled an 8, which wouldn't be good enough for goblins usually, but is enough for the hunter's strike force. They carry on with the fight. At the end of round 2, Temek stumbles to his feet, having regained one life point. Round three, initiative, the tribe, one, the goblins, three, once again, the goblins take the advantage. The warrior against Echo needs a 13 to strike her. She dodges his spear and leaps to her feet. The warrior against Paola needs a 15 to strike her. He does not. The Goblin Hexblade has the choice of striking against Kana, or the wizard who is charging, Amazon. He decides to go after Kana. Nat 20! She is unable to avoid the spear. It pierces her shoulder and she falls, taking six life points. Ayola is visibly shaken as this occurs. The shaman again tries to strike Bardar with his dagger, but fails again. The hunter sees that Temek is rising from his feet, and he tries to strike him with a flail. He connects with a 19. Temek receives three points of damage and is felled again. Stay down, says the hunter. Temek is at negative two. When Treya sees Kana fall, she aims her crossbow at the Goblin Hexblade. 18! Treya deals 4 damage. Amazar, taking the opportunity, swings against the Hexblade 2. 17 is enough. He deals 2 damage, slaying the Hexblade. Paola, enraged that her sisters have been found, turns her attention against the Goblin Warrior. She needs a 17. 18! She swings round her blade and severs the goblin's head. As the head rolls, its eyes flicker evilly shut for the last time. Echo has made it to her feet. She needs an 18 to strike the warrior who is coming down upon her. She cannot with a mere three. Bardar makes a display with his short sword, then thrusts quickly toward the goblin shaman. With a 14, he strikes the small goblin and deals three life points, enough to slay it. The crooked goblin cackles and dies. The hunter finds himself at the center of the room, surrounded. The tribe members who are there each take a swing. In turn, Len with her mace. Fails to strike with a six. Stockholm with his battle axe. Nineteen for the hit. The goblin leader takes four life points of damage. Kelana attacks with her dagger. But a nine does not connect. With so many of their numbers slain, the goblins are required to make another bravery check. With a six, they will battle on. The hunter is confident in his ability and the ability of his warrior. The hunter refuses to admit defeat, even against overwhelming odds. Round four, initiative, characters. A five, goblins. A five, simultaneous combat. The Goblin Warrior against Echo is unable to strike her. The Goblin Hunter turns his attention on Stockholm, but the Dwarf is too quick for the flail. Bardar rushes in to help Echo, but cannot get through the Goblin Warrior's chainmail armor. Paola runs to help her too, but can offer little aid. Finally, Echo makes her strike. Her dagger cuts the air behind the warrior's head, yet he is ducked aside. Len versus the hunter fails to strike, as does Stockholm. Solis finds the huge goblin impossible to hit. Kaylana is also unable to strike the head goblin. Meanwhile, Treya has maneuvered behind the king's lead man and levels her crossbow at the back of his head. With a 15, her quarrel flies true, piercing the back of his skull. The Goblin Hunter rolls, falling dead before those he would enslave. Final round, initiative, characters. A three, goblin. A three, it will be simultaneous combat, feeling that he is beaten, but determined to kill. The goblin warrior attacks Echo once again, yet he is being mobbed now from all sides and no longer has room to maneuver his spear properly. Paola attacks. Eighteen, and deals a point to the warrior. Barnard fails to strike. The group is joined by Solus, Kaylana, and Stockholm. Stockholm swings the battle-axe, decapitating the goblin, and the fight is at its end. Iona struggles to her feet, recovering one point. She and her sister go to Kana. Kana is very badly hurt. She may yet live, says Len, who carefully tends to the young girl's wounds. If God wills it, she may yet live. Treasure room. During Episode 9, the tribe earned 100 level points for role and another 20 for the Gnome Encounter. Today, during Episode 10, 50 more level points for the roleplay, while the Goblin Ambush yields 13 level points for each Goblin Warrior, Hexblade, or Shaman, plus 25 level points for the Hunter. From the Fallen Goblins, the following items are secured. There are three suits of goblin leather armor. These are fairly large in size, yet Stockholm is able to take one and wear it. There are two sets of goblin chainmail. These are also quite large in size. But because of the way chainmail hangs, Treya and Len are each able to take the goblin chain. The mail drapes loosely over their forms, but Treya and Len tie it tight around their waists with their belts. From the goblin shaman, a set of small goblin robes is obtained. These are a fit for Temek. Of the four spears obtained, one is given to each of the thieves. The hunter's flail goes to Solus, who can use it to best advantage. And the shaman's dagger is given to Echo. There are twelve total water skins, and twelve days' worth of travel rations, which are distributed amongst the group. The elf and the wizards discover three spellbooks, and there are also six backpacks. Additionally, fifty-two silver coins are found, and two gold coins. These grant the group an additional seven level points. Though these are slim pickings for a foe so formidable, the refresh on supplies will allow the travelers to hold up for yet a little bit longer. After rearranging and trading the gear found, Each member of the group now has one backpack, two water skins, five days of travel rations, a large sack, and a belt pouch. Stockholm takes possession of the 52 silver coins, while Amazar takes the two gold coins. Solus passes his sword to Treya. The group discards any remaining cobalt meat that they had, for it is degraded badly by this point. Meanwhile, the two remaining suits of goblin leather armor are taken by Echo and Kailana. The leather armor is stiff, and because of their small, slim forms, it is certainly impossible for either of them to use it as it is. However, both girls will have many hours ahead, for they have nine tribe mates who will need the coming days and weeks to recover. During this time, they will use their daggers to fashion the leather to a more manageable size until they have created for themselves crude coverings which will serve them as basic clothing. Though the armor value of the leather cannot be preserved, having these is certainly better than no protection at all. And so Kaylana's armor value is raised to a 9, and Echo, who is naturally nimble, has her armor value raised to an 8. These boons have been hard won, yet what has been won today may indeed serve to sustain them in the future. The Iron Realm Copyright A.B. Lenzo is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. A portion of tonight's female voice performance was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. In the coming days, Kana and Temek will struggle to regain consciousness. Will their tribes keep them safe in the dark, or instead have they already seen the last light they will ever see? I am your Maze Master, Abel Enzo, and I thank you for staying close for a full ten episodes with many more to come. The adventure, the danger, and the discovery have only just begun. Join us next time in the Iron Realm for Episode 11. And remember, play hard or go home. Iron Realm! I am with you in the light and in the dark.